Well, if you're wondering what all these toys are up here for, they're going to my house after this. Um, no, I'm just kidding. This is uh, Wilson County Christmas for All. In other words, any of the needy kids in Wilson County, these toys will be actually staying in our own community and going to help them. So thank you so much. Um, it was awesome to come in here and see them have to keep emptying the boxes because they needed to fill the boxes up again. And uh, so these are the toys from that. In fact, tonight, uh, before we close out, we're going to close out and praying over the toys and the children that will receive these toys and uh, praying for God's blessings upon them, that God will use these toys. You, you never know uh, just how much a toy will speak to a child. It shows great love, and it's a great opportunity for us to be able to tell them about Jesus. And so we're just thankful to have an opportunity to do stuff like this within our community. Now, for those of you that said they would give more to Lottie Moon if I rode the bike, I will do it if you'll give more to Lottie Moon, all right? I am not afraid to ride a bike. I have one at home. So, uh, but no, I tell you, Lottie Moon uh, is such an important Christmas offering. It's an offering we take up every single year. And so I hope that you'll help in giving to that. Uh, $10,000 is our goal. I know we can do better than that. I'm praying that we'll do better than that because every penny goes to missionaries. And, and if you know anything about me, uh, I am all about missions and uh, getting involved. I cannot wait uh, till this summer, uh, till we get to go on a mission trip. And I'm excited. I know we've got several men in our church. I know Ronnie Presley has been talking with uh, Brother David, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about going to uh, Nicaragua and possibly Bolivia. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited. I love to go overseas. And uh, if you've never been on a foreign mission trip, come with me. Uh, I promise you, you will not regret it. Uh, you will have something. It is life changing. And so I hope that you'll go with us. Uh, I'm hoping we'll have to plan like three or four of them this summer because we got so many people wanting to go. And uh, so y'all be preparing about that, praying about whether God would have you to go with us. I uh, already know the answer to that. The answer is yes. Uh, you just need to make time to go, right? Man, I didn't get a whole lot of yeses on that one. Y'all are like, no, 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 brother. I can go over all the reasons why you should. Uh, I can go over all the excuses for why you won't. But we got to get into God's Word tonight, and that'll just take too long. So, uh, before we get into God's Word, um, I'll tell you, one of the things that is just amazing to me as we look at this passage of Scripture tonight is that whenever you begin to do the will of God, opposition will rear its ugly head. And a lot of people say, well, you know, Brother John, if I start to do right, why would opposition rear its ugly head? The reason being is, the moment you begin to choose to start doing what God has called you to do is the moment Satan is going to be at his greatest war towards you to keep you from carrying on. He wants you to quit early because if he can get you to quit early, you'll never press on. So if you are starting right now, if you're saying, well, you know what, I'm, I'm trying to get into reading my Bible every day. Good for you. If you're starting, be prepared. There's going to be opposition to it. Why, well, Brother John, I'm trying to spend more time in prayer. Be prepared. Opposition is coming. I'm trying to get involved in some ministry in the church. Be prepared. Opposition is coming. No matter what you are going to do, if you are beginning to follow the will of God in some area of your life, be prepared. There is an enemy that hates you and wants to defeat you and destroy your efforts for doing better for your life. And that's what we're going to see in this passage tonight. We looked at Nehemiah's chapter 1 through 3, and we saw how Nehemiah had, a, had it placed upon his heart a burden to rebuild the walls. Now, a lot of us would look at that and say, well, what's the big deal about rebuilding walls? Well, it was protection. It was important for them 
They needed it so that their families felt safe. They needed it so that they had already rebuilt the temple and they wanted to make certain that they could keep going to the temple and worshiping the Lord and they were going to be protected at all times. So the walls were vastly important to them. But the moment Nehemiah begins this, guess what? He's already faced a little bit of opposition, but it's just beginning. It's just starting. And so if you begin to start doing right, just expect opposition. And I would say that on any front. If some of you come in here and you say, well, brother, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to share Jesus with a new individual that God has placed in my heart. Be prepared for opposition. Or brother John, I'm trying to make my marriage a more godly marriage. Be prepared for opposition. I'm trying to raise my kids in a godly atmosphere and trying to get them in church more than they've been going to church. Be prepared for opposition. How many of you know the greatest day to battle with family is Sunday? You guys ever done that? Anybody ever done that? No, y'all were too godly to do that, right? Right? I'm just going to tell you, I, I grew up going to church. Any of you guys grow up going to church? Can I tell you what my day was like waking up? Now, my mom, you know, y'all do not send her this CD. Nobody give this to my mom or my dad, all right? I will pay for this one if y'all do. But here was our day going to church. We would get in the car. We live five minutes from church. Five minutes. Now, the morning would start out something simply like this. My dad would yell upstairs, boys, get ready to go to church. No movement, crickets, you know. And so he would walk off and he would go get his shower. He'd come back and he'd say, boys, is anybody getting ready to go to church? Get up now. Nothing. Five minutes later, after he had his cup of coffee, boys, I'm coming up there right now. And we'd hear those footsteps on the stairs, and me and my brother, it was a race to see who could get in the shower first because the other one was getting a spanking. <laughs> we would race. I mean, we're like, man, I'm getting in that shower because it ain't me this morning, right? And so we learned to listen for those footsteps. Well, my dad was already aggravated by that time. Well, then you get us in the car, and you get us in the car, and you put three boys in the back of a little escort. Anybody ever driven in the back of an escort? Y'all, some of y'all are like, what's an escort? <laughs> you got to go way back, all right? Uh, thankfully, they, they upgraded, and eventually we got the Cadillac, right, you know? And so we would sit in the back seat, and it didn't matter how much room you had to back seat. One of us was going to hit the other one for some reason. It did not matter what they said, what they did. We were going to start a brawl in the car on the way to church. And so I would see my dad going, don't make me come back there. And my mom would reach back with the claw of the devil <laughs> and grab the inner thigh and squeeze, and you thought you were going to die. And so we did that all the way to church, and you'd hear us calling each other names and bickering and backbiting and just, just going all kinds of crazy on each other. And about the time we get to church, my mom would go, straighten up now. Put a smile on your face and no more fighting. And so we'd get out of the car and go into church like this. Does that sound like anybody else's story? Yeah. But you see, that's the thing. When you start to do the right thing and you start leading your family in the right way, you can expect opposition. It's going to happen. Nehemiah was just trying to build a wall. Nehemiah was trying to do what God had placed on his heart. Nehemiah was trying to press forward with the will of God. And so because of that, all kinds of opposition was coming his way. So tonight, I want you to be prepared. I want you to see tonight as we look at three forms of attack from outside 
that Nehemiah had to deal with while building the wall. These are three forms of attack that will happen to you as you begin to do the right things in the will of God for you, your family, and your life. So let's take a look at it. The first thing that you will face is going to be ridicule. Look with me in verse 1 of Nehemiah 4. It says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews... Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity." And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before them, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. So we see the enemy's response. They begin by ridiculing Nehemiah and the people. In other words, if we can discourage them enough, they'll stop rebuilding the wall. They'll just let it go. So I want you to see a couple of things that they do in their ridicule in these first three verses. One is they show absolute contempt for the people of Israel. They're trying to lower their self-esteem. When they make a statement, what are these feeble Jews? What do these feeble Jews? In other words, what are they doing? They're feeble. You know what it means to be feeble? You know what it means to be feeble, right? It means to be very weak, incapable of doing anything. Now, here's the thing. The moment you start trying to do what God wants you to do, there is going to be somebody that is going to say something to you to ridicule and bring contempt on you, and you're just going to say, I, I, I'm just not going to do it. I'm done. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put up with that. Nobody's going to talk to me like that. But let me tell you something. This is so important for you to recognize you got to realize that the enemy is not the one who says it to you, but the enemy is the one that's behind the statement. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's not them that's your enemy. It is the one who has put that thought in their mind to criticize you, to bring contempt upon you, to cause you to fall away from doing what God has called you to do. Here's the thing. If God has called you for it, who can be against you? You don't worry about what other people think. Call me feeble. I don't care. And, and to be honest with you, in and of my own strength, yes, I am feeble. I am far too weak to do what God has called me to do. But that's what makes me get on my knees and trust in the one who can do it through me. Not only did they show contempt, but they also tried to discredit them, questioning their motives. Will they fortify themselves? You say, well, what does that mean? Will they fortify themselves? In other words, do you think you're going to be free even if you build this wall? Do, why do you think you're doing it? Now, isn't it funny because... People will love to challenge your motives. You think about that. Who really knows your motive behind what you do? Well, hopefully you do. But isn't it amazing that sometimes people will challenge your motives when you begin to do what God has called you to do? Well, I bet you they're just... And, and let's just be honest, that happens with, with gifts that come in the church. Did you know that? There are certain gifts in the Bible. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, some people call them showy gifts. Did you know that preaching is considered a showy gift? 
Do you know that singing music is considered a showy gift? And there'll be people, oh, well, they're just doing it so they can be seen. Do you really know that's the motive of their heart? Do you know their heart? Are you God? Because that's what I want to ask somebody when they say something. Are you God? You can read my heart? That's pretty awesome. So if you're not God, you can't judge their motive, but God will judge their motive, and he will know whether they're doing it for the right reason or not. And if he knows they're doing it for the wrong reason, guess what he'll do? He will punish them. That's his duty, not yours. You see, that's the thing. we got to understand that when we begin to do right, and you say, well, how would, how would anybody judge my motives? Well, they might say, well, you're just wanting God to bless your family. Well, of course I do. I'm trying to raise my family in church. I'm trying to show my kids the way. I'm trying to raise them up in the love of Jesus Christ. Of course I want God to bless my family. I want him to bless it and bless it again. I want to be like Elisha. Give me a double portion of that, baby. Throw it on there. What's wrong with that? Yes, I want God to work in my family. Yes, I want God to use my kids more than I've ever been used. What's wrong with that? Well, what's your motive? Well, God knows. They try to dismantle it, making it seem impossible. Will they offer sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish? In other words, somebody's going to try to pile it on you. It's never going to work. You ever heard people do that to you? I mean, I've seen young men that feel called in the ministry, and somebody will go up to them and go, are you sure you're really called? Can I tell you one of the first questions I got when I told somebody that I felt called into the ministry? They, they came to me and they said, you, Really? I don't know. I guess he had nobody else to do it. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I did. The, the first pastorate that I took, the one there in North Carolina, it was funny. I had a deacon come up to me. And, and he come up to me, and this is what he said. He said, I don't think you're educated enough. And I said, I agree. He goes, I don't think you have enough experience to do this. And I went, I agree. And he goes, I just don't think you can do this. And I went, I agree. He had nothing else to say after that. I, was just like, I agree. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I guess he thought that that would mean that I would step back and go, you know what, I can't do this. You know what's really cool is he come back three months later and he said, I just want to apologize to you. I should have never said that. I said, well, you didn't have to apologize to me because I agreed. <laughs> I, I thought you were right. I was a little nervous. I was a little scared. I was like, Lord, you're going to take care of this. But you see, that's the thing. People will do that to you. When you start trying to do the right thing, they'll try to discredit, dismantle you, and tear you apart and tell you it just can't happen. But it can when God is leading the charge. But not only that, but they also tried to mock them. They want to tear down your ability. It says, whatever they build, look at this, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. I'll tell you something, people are going to try to tear you down when you start doing what God has called you to do. And here's what you need to do. You ready for this? If somebody comes up to you and begins to try to tear you down when you're doing what God has called you to do, you simply look at them and ask them, are you my judge or is God my judge? Are you my strength or is God my strength? And then ask them this, do you believe that God can do this? Well, yes. They'll, they'll, nobody will ever go, no, God can't do that. They'll say yes. Well, then if God can do it, then God can even use a fool like me. You say, well, why would you call yourself a fool? Have you ever read 1 Corinthians 1? 
I will be a fool for Christ all day long. God takes the weak and uses them. God takes the feeble and uses them. God takes the foolish and he uses them. I have no problem admitting that I'm in all three of those categories. Man, when you just go ahead and join in with the ridicule, they really don't have much else to say. But I love Nehemiah's response. Don't you love this? Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn the reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. I wonder how many of you have ever wanted to pray that. I did see a hand. Isn't that bad? <laughs> Me. Can I, can I just be honest with you? I've wanted to pray it before. I want to pray the imprecatory psalms like David sometimes. God cast down heaping coals on their head. Right? I guess I'm just not very spiritual like you guys, right? Y'all have never wanted to pray that. And let's be honest. I mean, can I just, can I be honest for just a moment? Church people can be the meanest people sometimes. They can also be the most loving people. You just got to find the right ones, right? But I learned a long time ago, the mean ones are few and far between. And oftentimes people say, well, I'm not going to go to church because, man, there's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites and mean people in church. Man, you just found the two or three. That's the sad thing. The whole church isn't like that. Problem is you find that two or three that you just think that you got to get over that. We're human. We're fallible. We make mistakes, and we will fail. But I love the way Nehemiah prays here. He just says, Here, oh God, for we are despised. Verse 5, And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. You know what? Nehemiah was basically saying this. Nehemiah was saying, Lord, if this is how they want to be, and this is how they want to act, and they're not going to turn from their ways, and they're not going to repent of their sin, and they're not going to get right, then I pray you bring the house down on them. Is there anything wrong with Nehemiah's prayer? The answer is no, there's not. No, there's not. You want to know why? Because those men were discouraging all the people of Israel, and they could have made it come to a point where they couldn't build the wall. And Nehemiah said, you know what, God, your plan is more important than the enemy's plan. And therefore, we're going to pray that you bless the plan that you've laid out for us. You move us forward and you cast the enemy out of our sight so that they don't get to say anything anymore. You think God will do that? The answer is yes. Yes, he will. You see, the problem is, is we're too afraid to pray like that for the enemy. I'm, my prayer God, I pray you change them. I pray you save them. But Lord, if you're not going to save them and you're not going to change them, then get them out of my way. That's the way we need to be because we need to do what God has called us to do. But look at verse 6. So we, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. In other words, they were encouraged by Nehemiah. We're not going to listen to their foolishness. We're going to press on. Number two is threat. Look at verse 7. But it came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. They were very angry. That's what wrath means. Very angry. Now you think about this. I mean, this was a land that they could go in 
and they could savagely take what they wanted from them. There's no wall, so they could go in there. They could destroy the people. They could take their goods. Nobody there to protect them. There's no army there to provide for them. There's no walls to keep them out. There's all kinds of issues. So they were just going in and taking what they want. Well, now you're building walls. Now you're protecting the city. We can't get our free stuff anymore. That's the problem. We can't get our free stuff anymore. We don't like the idea of a wall. We don't want you building that wall. We want to keep coming in there and sticking our hand in the cookie jar. We want to keep taking what we want to take. And so now all of a sudden you're wanting good for these people? We don't like that. And so they become very angry. In fact, look at this. You look at this list of enemies. It says Sembalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. You need to understand where these people came from. So Balat was one of the rulers up in the north. Tobiah and the Ammonites were to the east of the people. The Arabians were to the south and the Ashdodites were to the west. Did you get that? North, south, east, and west. They were surrounded by their enemies. Isn't it amazing that when God called them to go into the land, he said, here's the land I'm going to give you. And I want you to drive out the enemy. Well, after they drive out the enemy, what happens? They're still surrounded by enemies. You take the middle of the land. Who in the world? How many of you have ever played the game of Risk? Anybody ever played Risk? You know what my favorite country to take at the beginning is? Australia. Australia. You say, well, why is that? I don't want the middle of the board because I got to protect all around. I get Australia, I got to protect two places. I can go north and south and I can can rummage through the whole board and beat anybody in Risk that way. God says, I'm going to put you right in the center, right in the middle of all your enemies, and then I'm going to watch you succeed. Isn't that amazing that God doesn't say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to put you over here where it's real nice and easy. I'm going to place you in a, in a land of comfort where there's people that are goo-goo for you and love you and will protect you and watch over you. And they're just going to make everything so easy for you. We're, just, we're going to make things easy because I want, you to, I want you to be able to take ease and know that I'm going to take care of you. No, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set you right in the middle of the enemies. And then I'm going to trust that you're going to have faith to believe that I'll protect you when all your enemies surround you. It was so funny when God did call me to ministry, he just threw me in there. And it was a sink or swim mentality. Sink or swim, that's really what it was. And it was kind of that thing where uh, at first I felt like I was sinking. But what it made me do was it made me sink to my knees. And God just kept lifting me up. And God will do the same thing for you. When you begin to be faithful and you begin to do what God has called you to do, yeah, he might allow the enemies to surround you. But that's so you can roundhouse them, right? No. That's because he is going to take out the enemies around you. And he is going to defend you. And he is going to protect you. And he is going to overcome them. And he is going to put tape over their mouths. You see, that's what God will do for us. But I love it. What do they do in verse 9? It says, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. When the enemy attacks and when the enemy threatens, your best defense is prayer. Isn't it amazing that usually prayer is the last thing we turn to when it ought to be the first thing we turn to? Let's be honest. When when difficulties start coming your way, who is the first one that you call? You ever thought about that? 
Oh, I need to call my buddy. He'll encourage me. I'm going through a difficult time. Oh, I need to call my mama because my mama, you know, she'll, she'll tell me what I'm doing right and wrong. She'll, she'll encourage me. She'll help me out. Oh, I need to call my friend. You ever thought about who you ought to call on first ought to be God? God, you know the situation I'm going through. You know the difficulties I'm faced with. You know the enemies surround me. You know everything that's going on. God, I need you. And then if you want to lead me to talk to somebody else to give me some encouragement and give me some words of wisdom, then I'll call them. But until you tell me what I need to do, I'm just going to keep asking you. We'll talk about that Wednesday night in the prayer of persistence. But you see, there was a threat. There was ridicule. There was threat. Number, lastly, there was discouragement. Look at me in verse 10. We see the people's response. Beginning in verse 10. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came and said us, unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return, unto us they will be upon you. What happens? The people begin to listen to the discouragement, don't they? Verse 10 says, Look, do you, do you see what we have left? You see, we've built the wall halfway up, but now all we have is rubbish. We got nothing left. We're decayed. We're out of energy. The enemy is surrounding us. They're telling us wherever we turn, they're going to come from the other direction. They've told us 10 different times where they're coming from. They're going to attack us. They're going to hurt us. Man, Nehemiah, we just can't focus on this wall anymore. We just want to live. We just want to live. You know what Nehemiah could have said? Nehemiah could have said, you know what, you're, you're right. Let's, let's just live. Let's just leave the walls halfway up. An enemy can come in and knock the rest of it down, jump over it, climb over it, whatever. We're good. But that's not how Nehemiah was going to respond. Not only did the people respond with failure and exhaustion, then look at Nehemiah's response in verse 13. Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. How did Nehemiah respond? First he told them to be prepared. You see, that's the problem. A lot of times we're not prepared for what's coming our way. You know, I like to do, before I do a, a wedding, I'll do premarital counseling. And I'll actually spend eight weeks with the couple. Isn't that amazing you think you could do eight weeks of premarital counseling? You say, well, what do you spend time doing in those eight weeks of premarital counseling? Well, here's what I spend time doing. I spend time preparing them for the fights they're going to have in that first year. Yeah, some of y'all are in here like, I never fight with my wife. Or, you, you know, you could be like some men. Well, my wife is always right. I'll just leave that one right there. <laughs> be prepared. There is nothing wrong with preparation. There's nothing wrong with knowing what's going to take place. There's nothing wrong with knowing the disadvantage. There's nothing wrong with knowing the things that are getting ready to happen. If you're prepared, you can know what's coming. It's not like all of a sudden it's going to shock you. I remember when Julie and I got married, we were told, they're like, just get ready. You're going to be broke. We were broke. I mean broke. Now, here's the thing. We gave to the Lord. That was funny. There was one time we had to decide whether we were going to give 
our check to the church that week, which was $100, or whether we were going to keep it because we needed groceries. And so the good thing is, is we had already made up our minds long ago that God would always provide. Even though we were broke, even though we didn't have a penny to our names, we're like, we're giving the $100 because we're going to trust that God is going to provide and take care of us. Can I tell you that night we got in, we go into the freezer and I open it up, and there's those Totino's pizzas, you know, those dollar pizzas. We, that's like all we had left, that and some ravioli. Real healthy your first year of marriage. I pull out a Totino's pizza. You know what's really cool about that? I pull it out. You know what falls out underneath it? A $100 bill. It was not there before, I promise you. I don't hide money in the freezer. I called the only person that had been in my apartment since we had uh, bought those pizzas, and it was my father-in-law. And I said, Richard, I need, an, I need you to tell me the truth. I said, did you put $100 underneath my pizza box? He goes, what? I said, there's $100 that was underneath my pizza box. Did you put the $100 underneath my pizza box? And he goes, no. He said, John, if I've ever handed you money, what have I done? I said, well, you put it in my hand. He goes, that didn't come from me. You know where it came from. You see, we didn't have that argument because we were prepared beforehand. We knew who got theirs first, and it was God. Even if it meant we ate a Totino's pizza or some ravioli, or maybe even had to go to mom and daddy's and eat a couple of nights because we didn't have any food. But God provided every time. Be prepared. When you start to do what God is calling you to do, be prepared. Opposition's coming your way. That's the best thing. Then we also see that he rebuked them in verse 14. It says, I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers, to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Satan's, one of Satan's greatest tactics is fear. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I can tell you what I'm afraid of. Y'all ready for it? Now, if, if I see y'all bring any of these into church, I will hurt you. I hate snakes. Oh, brother, I'm going to tell you, I'm not a fan of snakes. Now, I've tried to get over my fear. We went to a reptile farm, and I held one, but, I, you know, within like 10 seconds, I was like, here you go, you can have it back. I'm good. I'm not a fan. And fear will strike you to where it will cause you to be paralyzed. And Satan knows that. If he can cause you to be fearful of doing what God has called you to do, he's got you. He says, don't be afraid. Isn't it amazing? If you read the book of Joshua, I love the book of Joshua. I know there's a class that's going through the book of Joshua right now. That is one of my favorite books. And the reason being is these words are used over and over again. Be strong and courageous. In other words, his point is don't fear. Don't ever fear. Joshua had a lot to be afraid of, but he said don't be afraid. Don't fear. Be strong and courageous. God will carry you through. You need to realize you've got to rebuke fear. Don't let it in there. Then he tried to encourage them. He says, remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Don't you just love that great and terrible? Can I tell you what that real word is in the Hebrew language? You ready for this? I like it. Awesome. He is great and awesome. Isn't that just a cool word to say? Awesome. Y'all are like, right on, carry on, dude. Like the 80s, right? God is awesome. 
When I think about that, he says, he says he's great and he's awesome. And then not only does he encourage him, he challenges him. He says, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. In other words, if you got to give your life, give your life. People that serve in the United States Armed Forces, thank you. Those of you that serve as policemen and sheriffs, thank you. You don't know how much you mean to this pastor. You guys are the crux that keep us safe, and I thank you for that. You put your lives on the line all the time so that we can have the freedoms that we have. Thank you. When I look at this, amen, they deserve it. They fight for us, don't they? Man, you think about it. I mean, they don't get Thanksgiving sometimes, do they? Or Christmas. They got to be out there serving, working hard. But they're fighting for us, protecting us, caring for us, loving us. I look at this, and that's exactly what Nehemiah was saying is, look, if you got a chance, make it work. Fight for your family. I'm going to tell you, that's one group that I will absolutely fight for. And I can tell you this, I'll fight for you too because you're my family. Got to fight for them. Look at the enemy's response in verse 15. It says, And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. Isn't that amazing? Oh, wait a minute. They know our plan. Isn't it cool? There was a king one time, and he made that statement. He says, wait a minute. He says, who keeps going and telling Elisha our plan? Who keeps doing it? And a guy finally speaks up and he goes, uh, nobody is going to tell him your plan. His God is telling him everything that you're going to do. So that king goes, well, then we're going to go down there and we're going to take care of this guy that keeps hearing our plans and we're going to take care of him. Well, they surround him. And you know what ends up happening? Elisha goes out and he goes, and, and his, his, the guy that's with him, he goes, man, have you seen the enemies out there? We're surrounded. We're in trouble. And Elisha goes out there and he goes, ha. The ones that are on our side are more than theirs. And that guy's like, what do you mean? He goes, God opened his eyes. Boom, he goes, I see. I see. The one that's for us has a bigger, badder, better army than the enemy. He's got bigger and better plans than the enemy. He can thwart the enemy at every turn. But if you will trust him, if you believe in him, if you'll do what he's called you to do, don't let the enemy tear you down. Finally, we look at Nehemiah's response, verse 16. came to pass after that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both spear and shields and bows and harbingers, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah, they which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one and with one's hands wrought in the work, and with other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side. In other words, if you need protection, bring your protection. You can build. How, how many of you are strapping tonight? You know what I'm talking about. Y'all are like, brother, I got my concealed and carry. I ain't telling you I got my gun. I'm going to tell you, in Alabama, I think just about everyone, especially the older ladies in the church, they all have one. Pull out their nine. Right? They were carrying that one. What we were afraid of wasn't somebody coming in and shooting up the church. We were afraid them grandmas was going to get up and just start shooting whoever had a gun. <laughs> You know? But they were packing heat. 
He tells them the same thing. Put your sword on your side. If you're afraid, get ready. If they come over the wall, take them out. Nehemiah said, get prepared. And then he moved on. He not only provided them a new strategy, but he provided them a rallying point. Verse 18, he goes on. He says, and so build it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. In other words, if you hear the trumpet blow, know that the enemy's there. Come to the trumpet and help defend the wall. Why do you think God has put us together? You're not in the battle alone. Satan wants you to think you're alone. He wants you to feel like there's nobody that's out there to help you. But I'm here to tell you, your brothers and sisters in Christ are here to help you at every turn. Whatever you face, they will lift you up. Don't feel like you're alone. You're not alone. Satan wants you to feel alone. Satan wants to put you off on your side. The strategy is when the trumpet blows, surround that brother or sister in Christ and lift them up in their time of need. Man, if we'd start doing that, we will change the world. He not only gave them a new strategy and a new rallying point, he also gave them a new strength. Verse 21, so we labored in the work. And half of them held spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto thee, people, let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be on guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men who guarded which guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one of them put off for washing. They were always ready. Could you imagine that? You sleep, you wake up, you go, just go right to work. You sleep, you lay down with your sword, you wake up, you got your sword right there by your side. And you might just say, here's how we're going to do it. The only time you take your clothes off, you go wash them because you stink. Nobody wants to build beside of you. That's the only time they took them off. The only time they changed clothes. You know how long it took them to build this wall? You know what's cool? 52 days. You're talking about 52 days, they're surrounded by enemies, they're constantly being barraged, they're constantly being ridiculed, constantly being criticized. 52 days, and they were done. Because they had a mind to work. Can I tell you something? When you begin to do what God has called you to do, the enemy will attack fast, he will attack often, and he will do everything to discourage you from the beginning. Because once you build a habit up doing the things that God has called you to do, it'll be hard for him to tear it down. Nehemiah teaches us these truths. It will be almost impossible for him to tear it down. Brothers and sisters, when you begin to read your Bibles, I hope, I put out a thing, and you'll be getting it soon. I'll be putting it out there in the vestibule. I hope you'll pick it up. My prayer is that we all read through the Bible together. How cool would that be, the entire church reading through the Bible together? One year, you can read through the entire Bible. But I'm going to tell you, when you get started, you'll get discouraged. He'll do everything he can to tell you you don't have time for this. He'll do everything he can to tell you that you're not understanding. He'll do everything he can to tell you that you're just wasting your time. I promise you, he'll do it. And he'll do it again and again and again. And I would tell you this, if you sit back and you say, well, I just don't understand it. Number one, you need to pray that God will give you wisdom. Number two, buy a study Bible and you'll get it. Don't be afraid to read some extra notes. It's called footnotes. They help a lot. 
Don't give him excuses because Satan will give you plenty of excuses not to do it. But be prepared because the moment you start reading it, a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to start in Genesis. Good for you. By the time you reach Leviticus, you'll probably stop. If you get past Leviticus and you get into Numbers, you will definitely stop. If you skip over to 1 Chronicles, you'll get tired of knowing so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. You might stop. There's a strategy for reading it sometimes, especially if you're reading for the first time, a way to help you so that you keep reading. You see, that's the thing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're faced with. I don't know what the enemy is trying to attack you on. I don't know what he's trying to destroy in your life. I don't know what he's trying to tear apart. It may be your marriage. If it's your marriage, let me tell you, and here's the thing, you're not alone. There are a lot of marriages right now that are, that are going through some hard times. If it's your marriage, don't be afraid to say, hey, I need some help. Brothers, we're here to pray for you. Ladies, we're here to pray for you. We want your marriages to be successful. We want to help you any way we can. Maybe it's your job. You might say, well, brother, you just don't know what I'm going through at my job. I may not, but I want to pray for you. I want to help you. You may just need to find a new job. You say, well, that's a lot easier said than done. Yes, I know that is. But if God is the one that is for you, then he'll provide that for you as well. You might say, well, you just don't know what I'm going through. I'm having a hard time with my kids. Welcome to the club. You just need a lot of prayer. If you got teenagers, you need a lot of prayer. If you need help, that's what we're here for. Just don't get discouraged. Don't bow down to the enemy. Don't give up. Fight the good fight. And keep pressing forward. When you begin to do what God has called you to do, the enemy will hit you again and again and again. Don't let him win. Do not be afraid. Keep pressing 